0: Good morning. Guys, it's great to see you. And uh, what a great, what a great uh, song. Crown him with many crowns. Love it. He love that? I'm looking forward to that day, man, because the Bible tells us when the 24 elders fall and throw their crowns at his feet, I just have this suspicion that if the elders are falling before the throne of God and casting the thrones, uh, pardon me, casting their crowns at his feet, that you and me, uh, we aren't going to be hanging on to ours. You know what I'm saying? We'll be following suit. He is the only one that is worthy of all honor and all power and all blessing and all glory. Crown him, you know. Um, if, if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands so that you can follow along with us. Uh, hey, quick question. Is anyone... Cold. Anyone warm? You see, this is why. This is why pe- people are like, it's cold. Other people are like, it's hot. So I'm like, hey, listen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to please. <laughs> Man, I'm not going to start a riot. Never mind. We're going to please the Lord, and you adjust accordingly. You know, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you, you can always take more layers off. I won't say that. There does come a point where that's just all you get, but uh, you can always add more layers on. Okay. So let's take our Bibles and let's turn in them to the book of First John. Thanks for joining us today, be it here in the sanctuary online. Uh, we're so glad you're with us, and we just want to uh, get in the Word of God together. We're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses here, verses 15 through 17, uh, in a message that I have entitled, A Warning Against worldliness. So with that, let's go ahead and and take our our hearts to the Lord. Uh, Father, once again, we just say thank you for gathering us collectively, Lord, and uh, Lord, uh, ministering to us as a body. And it's our desire, Lord, to be a blessing and to glorify you, to edify one another, Lord. And so we pray that you pour your spirit out in this time. You give us ears to hear you, God, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Paul, the apostle, told young Timothy, he said, flee youthful lusts. The problem, however, with youthful lusts is that they aren't limited to the young. Now, they may be found in or associated with the young. But ladies and gentlemen, they tempt and trouble us all. Oh, I wish I could stand here and tell you that as you mature in Christ, that all your troubles, all your temptations will wax and wane until eventually they fade away in totality. You've conquered them completely. They're no longer a problem, you see. The truth, however, is that there are always going to be some areas... Guys, regardless of how far one has progressed in their walk with Christ, in which there will remain a danger and a certain potential for disaster. And so we find these warnings all throughout the word of God, don't we? Uh, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour Jesus told us in regard to Satan that the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy ladies and gentlemen the devil has an agenda and it is to destroy your life And uh, though that agenda may present itself in some measure with unique nuances that pertain to your life, it will always approach you within the context of one of three avenues or some combination therein, and that's the warning that John gives us, the insight he makes known to us today. So you're with me. Let's turn our attention here in verse 15. We'll read our passage and then come back and consider it a little more carefully. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Well, I suppose the very first thing that we should probably address when considering this text is, what exactly does John mean when he uses this word, world? Uh, He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because this kind of statement, if we're not careful, could create a little bit of conflict in our minds. After all, the scripture can mean more than one thing in its implementation of this word world. And we often rely on context, do we not, to inform us of the intent behind the word. Uh, For example, uh, sometimes the word might be used to describe this planet, right, upon which we live. And that's how Paul employed the word. There he is in Acts chapter 17, and he's addressing the men of Athens, and there they are in the midst of the uh, Areopagus, and he's speaking to them of their unknown God. You know, he kind of did a survey of the city, and he's like, well, I see, I perceive you're very religious. You have an idol to this God, an idol to that God. You got this temple and that temple, and you're so careful that you don't want to miss any or offend any or invoke the wrath of any that you've even got one set aside to, well, the unknown God, this God that, you, that may exist that you don't even know. And he says, it's this God that I want to talk to you about, the one that you don't know. And he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath and and all things, God made the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you should know that God has no problem with you having an appreciation for andor enjoying the wonder of His creation. The Bible declares the whole earth is filled with His glory. God gives us all things richly, First Timothy, to enjoy. And there are other times when the word world speaks not of the planet as such, but of the Mass of humanity that lives upon the planet as in John chapter 3 verses 16 and following for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And so believe me when I tell you that God isn't going to love something and then tell you not to. And so we can understand with this absolute kind of confidence that God isn't telling us that we're not to love the people on this planet. Family, when John says we're not to love the world, he's speaking of an intangible the idea is that of a philosophy, an ideology, a certain mentality embraced by the ungodly, the unregenerate, that is hostile against God, contrary to God, uh, seeks to seduce people away from God. This system has Satan as its head, uh, those fallen angels, those powers, principalities, rulers of darkness the the darkness of this age and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places these are his emissaries and again be it subtly or now more than ever directly the goal is to stand against Christ his plans his purposes and influence people in a manner that would lead them away from Christ does this make sense I suppose some quick and simple examples would be, uh, today a big thing is gender identity. And though the Bible speaks only of two and classifies, qualifies two genders, the world would tell you there may be dozens and dozens, 70, 80, 90 or more uh, genders. The, the Bible will tell you that marriage is between one man and one woman. The world will tell you a man and a man, a woman and a woman, any, you know, it, just, it doesn't really matter. You know, the Bible would tell you that you are to love others, serve others. The world would tell you uh, you are to love yourself and others should serve you. So you understand every kind of this mentality, this ideology of the world is just kind of the polar opposite of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Now, again. John has been speaking of the believer's fellowship with God, how sin will disrupt that. You remember back in the first chapter in the sixth verse, if anyone uh, says says that they have fellowship with God, if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness or walk in sin, he says, we lie. Now, at the risk of redundancy, if there is a problem... In our relationship with God, it's never on His end, it's always on our end. Remember, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear and we've spoken of various examples when people may come to me or speak with you in confidence and just say, you know, I just I feel like the Lord isn't hearing me anymore. It's like I'm praying he's not responding and that you listen, that may be true. It could be, you see, that your sins have have hidden his face from you, that your iniquities have separated you from your God, be it bitterness, unforgiveness, perhaps gossip, slander. I suppose, family, there is no exhaustive list of potential sins, be they uh, sins of of, uh, omission or sins of uh, commission. But here, John warns us of a specific area of sin that is always standing at attention, always ready to threaten our fellowship with God, and that is the sin of worldliness. Do not love the world or the things in the world. You see what's happening here? The world wants something from you, and that is your love. The world wants your affection. The world wants your attention, your loyalty, your priority, and it has no problem rewarding you accordingly. Guys, the world stands to offer you prestige and status and honor and instant gratification and comfort and the proverbial life on easy street. The world knows how to reward those who love it. But the command of the Word of God is clear do not love the world. Ladies and gentlemen, as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, this is a comprehensive, all inclusive command. Our allegiance, our attention, our loyalty and priority must not be divided or compromised. Our affection, our love is to be focused, is to be intentional, is to be singular and specific. Are you with me? The Bible makes it clear in no uncertain terms. We cannot love the world and love God at the same time. God's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of this world. James said, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, the word is hostility or war, you see, with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen to me. If friendship with the world places us at war with God in hostility against God, how much more a love for the world? Don't be deceived. To pledge allegiance to one side is to declare war upon and opposition to the other side. To gain the temporary rewards of this world is to forfeit the eternal rewards of heaven. And guys, I'm gonna be honest, it can be a real struggle, can't it? I mean, it's difficult for us to think in terms of currently you know intangible there you are you're drawing near to God you're seeking to give your life to the work of God but it doesn't always yield a tangible reward do you understand what I'm saying But Jesus spoke clearly of being careful to maintain that eternal perspective. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves. You see, make your priority treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't spend all your time laboring for temporary comforts treasures on the earth. I tell you what, man, your check registry and mine will be very telling as to where our heart lies. These temporary treasures, these earthly things, they won't last. Jesus says, listen, invest your time, your energies, your efforts, your talents, your treasures, In the kingdom of God. And your reward will abide forever. Placing our priority on the things of this world. Will render us unfruitful. And out of fellowship with God. I'd encourage you to write it down. So you can just refresh your memory later. It's Mark chapter 4. Read the first 20 verses of the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and there you'll find Jesus speaking. It's probably a familiar passage to many of you. You'll find Jesus speaking of the parable of a sower. He went about, Jesus said, sowing seed, and there were lots of soil types on which the seed was scattered and fell. I mean, some fell among the wayside, some fell on uh, stony ground and all of this. The one I would encourage you to think through is that which fell among thorns was choked out and became unfruitful. Jesus said that was like the person who heard the word. There you are, you're hearing the word. They received the word, and there you are, you're receiving the word but he said the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word so that it becomes well the word is unfruitful do not love the world or the things in the world guys again not Not a reference to the beautiful mountain ranges, the rolling hills and the plains, you know. Not the sandy beaches and the lush forests and all of that. But the materialism that so characterizes the system of this world. Those things which have a tendency to make your heart and mind feel right at home in the world. And guys, it's, it's not that it's a problem to have things, but so easily things can have a hold on us, and that's a real problem. So do not love, right? The idea is don't allow your heartstrings to become attached to the world or the things in the world. So what do we do? Do we run out and join a monastery? I mean, is that, you know, we just got to, we got to, no, hey, listen, Jesus spoke of the fact that we're to learn to navigate the waters of this world. We're to be in the world, yes, but not of the world. We're to be light. We're to be love. To be salt in this dark and decaying world. Guys, we're like a ship on the ocean, yeah? You've heard the illustration, the example. A ship in the water is a glorious thing. But water in the ship is a dangerous, potentially deadly thing. And so too, a Christian in the world can be gloriously used of God. But the world in a Christian, you see, can be destructive, if not deadly, both to oneself and to others around them. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's simply two incompatible positions and I should say, guys, that John isn't speaking of the occasional struggle, uh, the lapse, the slip, the stumble. He's talking about a settled disposition in a person's life. It's like light and darkness. The two cannot commingle, they cannot coexist in the same atmosphere. If someone claims to love God, but honestly now truly in reality loves the world this ungodly system filled with greed selfish ambition deceitfulness and decadence then there's something wrong with their claim to love God you see it's time to make your calling and election sure does this make sense Jesus said it like this. He said, no servant can serve two masters for either, either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can love the world or you can love God but you can't do both. Be hot or be cold. God has no stomach for the lukewarm, you understand. Jesus said we're either for Him or against Him. There's a clear-cut dividing line in Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul wrote, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I am dead to the world and the world that is this system that seeks to lure me through and appeal to the sin that's within me is dead to me. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ and the corruption of this world are both calling to you. You understand me? The cross of Jesus Christ And the corruption of this world, they're both calling to you. And you have to decide where you are going to make your stand and to whom you are going to pledge your allegiance. Now, in verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, we spent time developing what John meant by his use of this word world, this ungodly, unregenerate, uh, incompatible, contradictory to God. System, ideology, mentality, right? Here he expands on it for us just a bit by informing us of the sum total of all that's contained in the world. And these are the three pathways, the three avenues, we might call them the weapons of this world's warfare through which. Satan will always seek to enter in and wreck your fellowship with God and lead you astray and seduce you away from God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now this word lust it, guys i don 't think we really need to spit it means exactly what you think it does. Uh, it speaks of a craving. A a yearning, a passionate desire, a longing for something forbidden. Make sense? The word flesh, however, we kind of want to clarify this one real quick. Because it's not a reference to your physical body. Uh, There's nothing inherently evil about your body. God created it. Jesus robed himself in a body not unlike your own. The vast majority of the time, I will not say categorically, but I will say the vast majority, okay? The vast majority of the time, the Bible speaks of our flesh. It's speaking again of that intangible, okay? Uh, That internal compulsion that is constantly seeking to drive us toward sin are you following me that intrinsic thing in you that wants to break the rules that wants to do the wrong thing that wants to uh, rebel against God and the desire to sin to do what's wrong to rebel against God is stirred up it's uh fanned into a flame it's drawn out by these three characteristics of the world that constitute worldliness. As a believer, the Holy Spirit abides in you. And so you have these two natures that are kind of locking horns and they're at war within you and they're in constant conflict and the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit is warring against the flesh. And these are the weapons of the world's warfare by which the flesh is enticed. Are you with me? And Satan has used these three tactics from the beginning of creation. Man, He operates by the code. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so he appeals to you by the lust of the flesh. And so your mind is drifting back. There she is, right, Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. She's near the tree, perhaps enjoying the shade of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, that serpent of old, begins to entice her. And he begins to cause her to uh, question God's word. And he says, has God said? Now, ladies and gentlemen, the whole world is summed up in one of two positions. You are either of the camp, God has said, or you are more of the persuasion, has God said? But he gets her to reconsider her position pertaining to the clear-cut instruction of God's Word. She starts looking at that fruit. And what do we read? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. You see what happened there? She saw that the tree was good for food, the lusts of the flesh. Guys, when you hear the phrase lust of the flesh, do not limit your thinking to the desire for illicit sexual activity. Yes, surely it includes that. It could be gluttony. It could be drunkenness. It's pushing something past the point Of the boundary which God has established. You understand? Next, we read that she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. Again, let's not limit this to seeing someone who triggers some sort of inappropriate thought in our minds, though, again, it's included. Let's look at this, this lust of the eyes. Let's look at this as the tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things, a focus on present gratification without regard to future ramification. And we really, guys, we can't really apply this to the eye gate alone, or else uh, blind people would be immune from this. They're not. Let's think along the lines of one's senses picking up on the temptations that the world shows off and sets before us. The problem doesn't lie in the eyes, ladies and gentlemen. The problem lies in the heart. Remember Jeremiah 17 and 9, it's the heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Finally, she recognized, she Surmised the tree was desirable, the fruit was desirable to make one wise. Pride of life. She could be like God, independent from God. Think having an assurance in your own resources, the pride of life. Think in terms of the parable of the rich fool. You can write it down if you want to look it up later. It's in Luke chapter 17. And there he was, and he was reasoning within himself as he looked upon all that he had amassed, all that he had acquired, you see, all that he had accumulated. And he was like, man, my ground has has yielded plentifully. My 401k is fat, you see. Whatever the case may be, all my investments are yielding You know, gloriously, what am I going to do with all my wealth, with all my resources? He says, I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll store all my stuff. And I'll say, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. The pride of life. Look how important I am. Uh, look how much I have. Uh, how successful I've been. And this rings in the world, doesn't it? Flash forward from that garden scene some 4,000 years or so. And there he is again. Satan. Satan. In the wilderness Tempting our Lord And Jesus has been fasting For some 40 days His body is literally Beginning to starve Physically He's beginning to starve to death And here he is Hey Since you're the son of God Turn these stones into bread He's appealing to the lust of the flesh You see He says, Hey, look. He shows him. Remember, the Bible says that Satan showed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said, They're mine, and I can give them to whomever I please. Just bow before me, and you can have them all. Just look at them, you see. The lust of the eye takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down, Jesus. You know, impress all the people as God's angels bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Show them who you are, how important you are, how impressive it would be, you see, for these people to see you in all your glory. The pride of life. Flash forward a couple thousand more years. He's still at it today. I mean, just, I think probably one of the quickest, most uh, obvious examples would just be look at the marketing strategies of the world. Supermodels, A list celebrities, uh, top tier. Athletes sporting their products. Man, you could be like this. These kinds of people would be in your circle. You'll have the best stuff. You'll impress all your friends. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. These things, John tells us, are not of the Father, they're of the world. And this is why these things are so diametrically opposed to God, uh, unacceptable to God, because there's nothing in them that's from God. It's all a system, ideology, mentality, however you need to understand it personally, that excludes God. And let me say this, guys. God knows that we have a physical body. He knows that we have an appreciation uh, for the tangible, uh, things that are attractive to us. He created us with certain desires, certain drives. The, The problem is the perversion of those desires to the exclusion of God. Does this make sense? But to succumb to one or more of these areas in our lives is to become... What's our word? Worldly. Suddenly, God's word loses its appeal, really. Don't really want to serve God. Prayer is a real chore. Even being in fellowship with other believers is kind of empty, disappointing, unsatisfying. Again, family, the problem isn't with God, it's not in others. It's in our own heart, our own life. The world has crept in and corrupted us. Are you following what I'm saying? And it's easy for this to happen. Guys, navigating this, world, it's like a tightrope, man. You gotta, it's, it's a very like, uh, it's easy for the world to creep in and corrupt. Worldly reason can easily begin to dominate our thoughts and way of thinking. We like to believe that we think very biblically, but oftentimes, truth be told, we don't. Let me ask you a question. What does success look like to you? Just think about that. Do you have a worldly mindset or a godly Biblical mindset. Listen, by the world's standards, the apostle Paul was a failure. Guys, he died alone, pretty much abandoned by all his friends, a prisoner, no money, no real resources of his own. I mean, this this guy was at the bottom. But by God's standards, he was incredibly successful. He had no fortune, he wasn't famous, but he was faithful to the Lord and his call upon his life. So we begin, don't we, to understand the great need for Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions And desires. We're not to feed our flesh. We are to learn for the the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and long suffering and gentleness. And then that final one that always gets us is self control, discipline. Just say no to yourself. I mean, look in the mirror and just say, No. (laughs) Walk in the spirit. Well, that sounds awful ethereal. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says the one who sets his mind on the things of the spirit. In other words, what occupies your mind? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's that? So we're to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. What occupies our minds, you see? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse 16. We're to cultivate humility. Serve others consistently. And these are ways by which we combat that draw to become worldly, you see. Verse 17, guys, we're not far from finished here. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is the folly or the the foolishness of worldliness. The world is passing away. And the lust of it. Guys, our investment into the things of this world are temporary at best. I I wish we could lay hold of that, man. I wish we could really get a grip on that truth. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, the things which are seen are temporary. Temporary. But the things which are unseen are eternal. We're to be aware of that when we're placing our priority upon this world. It's not going to last. Uh, Karen, if are you, you are my closer today, yeah. Guys, think about lot. This would be a prime example of worldliness the temporary nature of it, the way that it's passing uh, away and all. Lot, you know Lot, right? He, He was connected, man. This guy was connected. He was hooked up on that spiritual level. He was connected to a spiritual giant. I mean, Abraham, the father of faith, is his uncle. He's living with him. He's abiding with him. He's enjoying all the... The blessing that comes along with being in, you know, in his life. God's taking care of Abraham. Lot's with Abraham. And so it's like showers of blessing, you know. I don't even know if that's the right tune, but you know the song. But ultimately, and I'll keep the story short. He chose the way of the world. He he set himself up selfishly. Remember, Abraham gave him the choice. Look, there's a lot of land out here, Lot. Which way you want to go? Oh, wow, what, think about that. It's all out there in front of you, ladies and gentlemen. Which way do you want to go? And Abraham said, look, if you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you want to go to the east, I'll go to the west. You want to go to the north, I'll go to the You know, let's just how, how you, you get your choice. And he lifted up his eyes and he, he looked towards Sodom. Man, things look good down there. Green pastures, you know. And so he sets himself up for worldly success. And he got it. For a time. Wealth, status, influence, comfort. Man, he had it all. But in the end, he lost everything. He put his priority in the wrong place and he got burned by the fact that this world is passing away. Listen to me. You cannot take your treasure with you when you die. But you can send it ahead of you if you'll invest in the kingdom of God. He who does the will of God abides forever. I Man, how does that sound? Just think on that. He who does, not knows, not knows. You might know your Bible, right? He who does the will of God abides forever. Man, I can say that again and again. How about one more time? He who does the will of God abides forever. As Jim Elliot once said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What we do with our time, our talent, Our treasure is very telling. As Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's all out there. You can serve the Lord, you can serve this world. But as for me and my house, you see, we will serve the Lord. And I just beckon you, come with me. Let's serve the Lord. Amen. God, we thank you for the timeliness of your word. Teach us, God, to stay centered upon you. and Strengthen our loyalty and our affection and our love for you. And I pray, God, guard our hearts against worldliness and renew our desire for godliness. And I pray that our time and our talent and our treasure find you and your kingdom as our priority and that we would serve you in humility and we thank you God that you have it in your heart to reward us eternally (laughs) what can we say to that He who does the will of God abides forever. Well, what is the will of God? Well, it begins with believing upon him whom he has sent. Believing that Christ came to seek and to save you, that he died for you, and you can be forgiven. You can be made new, clean slate, born again spiritually through faith in Him. And so before we close, I just want to give you a quick second here. If the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart, you don't know Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. Well, I've gone to church. That's not what I'm talking about. You've made that connection. You've had that encounter where Christ has come into your life. He's forgiven you of your sin. Old things have passed away and you're a new creation in Him. Is that you? If not, it can be right here and right now. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And I'd love to pray for you if that's transpiring in your heart even now. And so if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If I, if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. But I want to give you a second to say, you know what, today is a day of salvation for me. And I don't care how old or how young you are, where you've been or what you've done, just do you need Christ to make you new. God bless you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else today? If you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Well, I trust today that the word of God has found its way into the soil that makes for your heart as for what kind of soil that is, well, it's between you and the Lord, isn't it? You got that wayside soil where the enemy just comes in, snatches the seed of the Word, and it just carries it off, and you're just going to leave here and, uh, you know, okay, Sarah, surah, whatever will be, will be. Maybe it's stony ground, maybe... you. You've heard it, you received it, you're glad about it, but uh, you know, underneath the surface there, things get hard, you're like, "Hey, you know what I didn't sign up for this, or maybe maybe it's that thorny weed infested, you've heard it, you've received it, you You want to respond to it, but man, there's so many cares, so many desires. Caught up in the pursuit of wealth and riches and other things. And it's just, there's just no real fruit happening in your life. My prayer is that the seed of God's word finds good soil in your heart. And it goes down deep and it takes root and it sends up that shoot and it brings forth that fruit 30, 60, 100 fold fruit that remains. God has to cultivate that soil, you know. It's to dig around in there. Uproot some weeds and such. Was talking earlier, guys, and and I know I'm holding you here, but just allow me for a second. Was talking earlier and you can just stay in that prayer kind of meditation place let the lord just speak to your heart we were talking about you know being the light of the world and how light shines forth and i was talking with the with the staff earlier before you guys all got here and you know you go back in the book of judges and gideon there he is and the lord had called him and he'd surrounded the the camp and uh, the the midianites and all and uh, they were to have torches in these clay pots and they covered the torches with clay pots and, and then they were to, uh, at, the, at the signal, they were to all break, shatter the pots and then shout, you know, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and all and the light would burst forth and they would see the camps around it and all. But for that light to shine, the vessel needed to be Broken. Now we have this treasure, the Bible says, in earthen vessels. You are the light of the world. But I'm telling you that light shines forth from a place of brokenness. And God is the only, it's, you know, you think about it. God is the only one who knows how to increase the value of a vessel through brokenness. I'm telling you, you take a vessel, you take grandma's heirloom, and you break it, you've just destroyed its value. But God grabs hold of a vessel. He grabs hold of you, and he begins to break you that that light might shine forth from you, and he increases the value. Does this make sense to you? How Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and then what did he do with it? Broke it. And then he multiplied it and it fed thousands and thousands. God wants to bless your life and he wants to break you and he wants to minister through you to others. And so God, we just say, have your way. And I'm not sure, guys, why the extended right now. I just, maybe it's for somebody here, a few of you here. God hasn't lost control. He's very much in control. If your heart's coming to the Lord, maybe for the first time, just let him know who you are. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe on you. And I'm a sinner. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sin. And to come into my heart, Lord. And to fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you. I want to be that light that you've called me to be in this dark world. So help me, Lord, strengthen me. And thanks for putting my name in your book of life. And as for the rest of you, man, may the Lord just uh, find a soft, pliable, willing, and yielded heart in you. Not a heart of stone. Not one that's, that's, you know, kind of set up and unyielding and set in its ways. And no, man. No way, Lord, have your way, you see. I trust in you. Guys, let's stand to our feet. Isn't God good? he's faithful he's faithful to to confront us you know what I'm saying in the stillness in in a certain loving sternness God has this way of calling us to the carpet you know and saying hey hey what are you doing what's going on What's your priority? What's the mentality, you see? What's captivated your heart? And so may you be renewed and refreshed today, and may the Lord just pour His Spirit out upon you, and may His Word again bring forth fruit in you, and may His goodness and mercy follow you. May He lift His countenance upon you, causing His face to shine upon you, and may He give you His peace. And if you have any need for prayer, that's why we've gathered down here today, that uh, we could just avail ourselves for whatever your need may be. And so I'm going to pray for you. Uh, is there a women's study today? No? no, not today? Great. Well, enjoy some time this afternoon with the fam or, or whatever your plans may be. And I'm going to pray and, and then we'll turn you loose. Uh, but we do need, uh, Jody, we've got to get guys signed up for the dinner, right? Uh, the men's thing. It's a big deal. The caroling this week, it's a big deal. And Joseph is meeting here. What time are we? After after what? After service. Oh, oh, today, right here. I thought you meant Wednesday because I thought there was a thing he put out Wednesday. Yeah, we're gonna talk about and a partridge in a pear tree. Except we're not doing that one. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Uh, but it should be good. We just want to go down there into that neighborhood and just say, hey guys, welcome to the neighborhood. We're glad you're here. We're right up here. Here's a little information on us. We'd love to see you. You know, that kind of thing. Encourage you to be a part of it. Father, we thank you, God, just for uh, your, your love and your, uh, your goodness and your graciousness and your mercy. We thank you for the, the, the power of your word and we pray, Lord, that it would just continue to transform our lives, Lord. We leave here different. We believe Uh, Lord, because you have ministered to our hearts and thank you for drawing near to us and we pray, Lord, that you be glorified in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.